0: Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Man, really, really thankful. Let me get this thing up here. This is what happens when you show up on Sunday and your iPad is dead uh, and the copier is somewhere, I, it's in storage. Um, We're moving. Did you know that? That we're moving. (laughs) That we're moving. Uh, Really excited about what God is doing. Really excited to be at Yavapai. It's kind of cool how God works. Um, I guess I didn't say this, but I haven't haven't met you yet. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, but thank you. I'm kind of like kind of recovering. I'm starting to get some sleep. We just had a baby uh, the the other week, our, our third kid. People are like, what's easier to jump from one to two or two to three? And I was like, I think the moment they all leave the house when they're 18. I think that's going to be the easiest jump. No, I don't know uh but uh we are we're having a good time trying to get some sleep god uh has blessed us with a child that sleeps that we've done nothing to earn that but he has blessed us with a baby that sleeps uh but yeah very excited for this for this new season um before we jump into the Word, I just want to share a couple things. So like Candy said, we're going to be portable next week. And uh, Tristan and I are putting together a team of people to help uh, our portable team. If you want to help uh, be set up and tear down with us every week, basically on a Sunday morning, we're going to go in, we're going to set up uh, at the church. And uh, at the end of church, we're going to tear down uh, at the end of church. And Tristan and I have done this many times. Uh, I've personally been portable five different times in ministry. And, and yeah, I counted the other day in eight, nine, ten, ten different places. So uh, this is very new for me, but if you, I think it's just a great opportunity to really be engaged uh, in in what's happening. And uh, people have really asked, like, how do I what what do I do to really be involved? And I just have encouraged people just be involved like it matters because you really, really matter. And I know it's summer, so sometimes when it's hot it's hard to tell that it matters. Mostly the pool matters and vacation matters. And I understand because I go in the pool and I'm going on vacation. Well, I mean, I'm not really. I might just drive up north for a day. When you have a new baby, you don't really go on vacation. Um, <laughs> the hospital takes your vacation money. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, really I uh, want to encourage us in a couple ways. One is to pray like it matters. You know, we, we got together and we really prayed uh, for a couple things. One, that God would give us a great temporary location. And this is how I love how God works. That's what I was actually saying: is we're going into Yavapai, which is the same administration that was leading the school Tanalea when we were meeting at Tanalea when we launched the church. They're now at Yavapai. We're going to we're going to meet there, and we love them. They love us. We're just walking around with our team, and all the teachers are like, "Oh, Banner Church, I love you guys!" Because we have really loved on that school when all those teachers were at Tanalea, and now they're at Yavapai. And so this week, actually, we're going to be doing teacher for Yavapai all week. We're going to be there all week. And then on Sunday, we're going to do church there. Isn't that cool? not that awesome? So we're just going to love on these teachers as we head into this school. And uh, in fact, if you want to be a part of that, talk to, talk to our kids, Pastor Delaney. She would love help uh, with that. One is pray like it matters. Pray that God continues to open doors, continues to make ways. Uh, We just went down and met with the city uh, about a new building that we're working on. We're trying to get through. And in fact, we're going to start taking people out. It's about 15, 20 minutes from here. Um, But it is a beautiful building. It's four or five times larger than this space. Gives us tons of opportunity for community outreach. And so we're going to do a trip. I'll take you guys there. We'll go check it out. Uh, But we just met with the city. And so I want to say you. Thank you guys for praying because they seem on board. And if you've ever done building stuff, how many of you know that's so important, right? Um, so pray like it matters. Another is to, is to give like it matters, right? Like I said, um, teacher appreciation. Like we don't just make donuts appear out of nowhere, right? We don't uh, make school supplies appear out of nowhere. We have to purchase them with American dollars, and those <laughs> and all that money is donated not only through tithes and offerings through the 10% that everyone gives, but also through above and beyond generosity uh, through our Kingdom Builders. So when you hear us talk about Kingdom Builders, that's the kind of stuff that Kingdom Builders does. It blesses teachers, and it makes a way for us. When we do our big backpack outreach in, in July, and when we do our community outreaches over the summer, uh, that, all that Kingdom Builders offering decides whether or not we do that or not. So your giving decides whether it happens or not. So I just want to encourage you to give like it matters and then to serve like it matters. You know, every person is so valuable uh, and valuable to the body of Christ. And I've seen serving phrased all kinds of ways. And usually it's kind of like a guilt trip, like, uh, you know, for people. But I want to just encourage you. Serving is actually really a blessing for us because we're told in, in the word of God that how we love one another will reflect how we love God. And it will reflect if we're following God. And so one of the ways that we can show not only others that we love God, but God that we love God, and and it reveals our heart, is actually by serving one another. And so uh, the the gathering of the body is one of the ways in which we can do that, that we can serve one another. And by loving on one another, we're loving God. It's really an act of worship. And so I just want to encourage you, don't deny yourself the opportunity to walk out that really crucial part of your faith in revealing who you follow or don't follow and and to bless others. And so you might say, well, it sounds like teaching kids a lesson, but can I tell you as a father whose daughter recently got baptized that I think it is no small feat to teach the the next generation the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we show love to God is by caring for the little children, right? Right? You're not doing Delaney a favor. Delaney's doing you a favor by by inviting you and and building a system where you can come in. And fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you: serve like it matters. If you haven't signed up to serve, if you if you've ne- if you serve maybe like once a month, you know, an hour a month, maybe you're like maybe I could do two hours a month. I could I could serve uh, in, in that way. Whatever it is, I just encourage you engage in that. Put it on your connection card. And I really want to encourage you finally engage like it matters. I said this last week, but I'll say it again: engage like it matters, man. Small groups, engage like it matters. I was uh, so impressed. Uh, by the men of our church yesterday, they were all lined up to go. Or some of them were lined up, not all. Some of them were lined up to go play football. And then I saw in the group text uh, that that came through for it, it uh, asking for help moving furniture that someone graciously donated. Someone in this church graciously donated for our church, uh, for offices, for future offices. Uh, and there was, like, an invitation that, that Dave sent out. It was like, hey, anybody help move furniture? And I was just so impressed that these dudes at 100 degrees stepped up to do that. And I've just been so proud of the men of this church, honestly. Like, this church is just full of good men. Are you thankful for a church full of good men? Amen. Amen. Man, I'm thankful. The ladies are like, yes, right? Ladies, we're thankful. The single ladies are like, yes, thank you, right? 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 <laughs> All right, we're thankful. Thankful for for good men in this church. Thankful for this church. Uh, Just really engaging. And so I want to encourage you, especially men. Like we have a camping trip coming up that I think is going to bless your life. Uh, It's not very far away. Sign up, engage. You might not be able to be here every Sunday. Totally understand, but engage. We have a men's small group. We want to bless you. We want to come alongside you in your life and support you and build you up and encourage one another. Our last men's group still texts. It's been done for four or five weeks. Still texts praying for one another. Be a part of something like that. Engage in that in small groups. So, uh, yeah, what you do matters. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's jump into the Word. What do you say? I want to talk today about hope. I want to talk today about healing. We're in a series called Miracles. So guess what we're going to do at the end of service? We're going to pray for, somebody call it out when you know it. Hey, yes. (laughs) Like, it feels like we do the same thing at the end of every service. Like, yeah, we're in a thing where we're doing the thing because we're looking at the thing. That thing is miracles. (laughs) You know, it's interesting... uh Pastor Barry and I were meeting with uh, some pastors, some friends of mine, and uh, an evangelist, and it was the first time I ever met him, but he's telling me this story about pastoring a church, and I was kind of blown away by this, because I didn't like, I don't like grow up in like the deep religiosity of church and long-standing church. I'm from Seattle, so if a church lasts 15 years, you're like, wow, praise God, they're the elder statesmen of, you know, of the area. Um, but, uh, but we were talking, and he was talking about pastoring and pastoring a, a church on the East Coast, and and he's very evangelistic, and uh, there's different ministry giftings, and one of them is is the evangelist, and he's very much an evangelist, someone who, who shares the gospel and uh, goes into dark places and brings the light of truth, and so he talked about how you, they would take teams out for, for like two weeks. They were out in the streets of their town inviting everybody in and said, hey, come in. We're going to pray. We're going to believe for miracles and transformation. We're going to for salvations, all kinds of things. They were just inviting everybody in that they could find. And that's the gift of an evangelist, right? Some are teachers, some are pastors, right? And some, some, are, some are evangelists. That's an evangelist. And so after two weeks, they had their Sunday morning. Sunday morning service comes and the church is packed. He said, the church was packed more than it has been packed in years, and he said the service is going and like people are getting saved, people are getting healed, people are like, relationships are getting restored, like incredible supernatural things are happening. Pretty amazing, right? So he leaves and he's like, wow, God is so good. That's amazing. And so the next day, he has a board meeting, and he's so excited that they're going to gather together, and they're going to celebrate all that God has done. I mean, people healed from addiction. People, you know, having uh, oppressive things on them lifted off, marriages that were falling apart that God mended supernaturally. And he walks in to the board meeting, and, and here's the table, and all the guys are gathered around, except... They all have their arms folded. How many know that's a bad sign? (laughs) Right? They all have their arms folded. They're looking at him with their arms folded. And the lead board member said, "We did not like that at all. You need to stop." And so uh, the evangelist replied, "Well, wait a second. What do you mean we need to stop your son that we have been praying will be set free from addiction?" was delivered from addiction and has spent the past two days with me proclaiming the word of God. Why would you want that to stop? And they said, well, it's just getting a little out of hand. And we need you to settle down or else we're going to call, I kid you not, call the denomination and they're going to send leadership who's going to tell you to chill out. (laughs) See, I always assumed this is just my ignorance coming out, you know, the world into the church. I assumed that people want to be healed and restored. I just assumed that. I assumed that people who have been restored, their primary mindset is that other people would be restored in Jesus Christ as well. What I've found and now 16 years of full-time ministry that is not always the case right you would assume that the goal and the primary mission the primary objective would be that people would be restored in Jesus Christ and that those who have been restored in Jesus Christ their primary mission would be the restoration of others into Jesus Christ And yet many times what I've come to see, not only in my own experience, but in the experience of others, and actually in the word of God, is that people like to put boundaries around God. What he can and cannot do, and how he can and cannot do it. And so what happens, and what happens church, and and I think we've all been, I've been there too, is sometimes we box God in, right? If we be honest, right? I've done it. We box God in, and it unlocks two dangerous ideas. Here's what happens. We begin to box God and it unlocks two dangerous ideas. The first idea is that if you cannot control it, then it cannot be good. If it makes you uncomfortable, if you cannot get around it, if it, if it distracts from what you want to do and how you want to operate and how you feel comfortable, then it can't be good, right? And the second is it unlocks this idea that some cases are too hopeless, because if we cannot conceive of how it could happen and if we cannot understand how it could occur and if, and, and, and if we can't control it and if it seems too messy or chaotic, if it does happen because we define comfort as order and God does not define order as comfort. In fact, often the most orderly thing in the kingdom is the most discomforting and distracting thing for us because we are fleshly. What happens is we begin to think that some cases are too hopeless. But I really believe that there's a word here today for somebody. There's a word here in in the word of God as we jump in. There's a word to encourage somebody who says or thinks that in my situation, there's just no hope for me. Or maybe you're here and you've struggled to hope for someone else. You're like, there is just no hope for my family. There's no hope for my family. Husband, there's no hope for my children. I just want to encourage you today that Jesus Christ has come to bring you hope and that today he's come to speak a word into your life, that he has come to make you whole, and that he can make lives whole, and that today we're gonna maybe peel away one side of that box and let everything spill out, and that's okay, and it's okay if you get a little messy here because we have grace and we love you, but there's something that God wants to do today where he wants to say there is hope for the hopeless. Jesus came to heal your brokenness in every way and to give you life to give you wholeness in every way. Let's jump into the Word of God. You got your Bibles? Let's do it. John chapter 5. If you brought your Bible, jump to John chapter 5. If not, don't worry. The words will be on the screen. And this week, I'm reading them in the ESV, so I won't mess anybody up back there on slides. Last week, I was a little tired. I messed everybody up, but we're good here today. John chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, let's pause there. It's a long time. So the scene is that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and he's coming to the pool of Beit Hezda. is the word there. But we would just say easily Bethesda, because we're just we don't speak Aramaic. I don't. <laughs> but but it is important because this, this word bethesdah comes from two words, bait, which means house, B-A-Y-I-T, which means house, and chesed, which is God's loving kindness. So, Bethesda is a uh, derivation of this word that means the house of God's mercy. So, in the house of God's mercy, you had two massive pools. I mean, absolutely gigantic. And uh, you can go and kind of see some of these remnants. So if any of you have ever been to Israel, you can go and you can, you can see in Jerusalem some of the remnants of these places that have been kind of built on top of it, different levels by whoever was conquering at that time. But there are two massive pools, a northern pool and a southern pool. And they would store rainwater, but they were also used by the, by the Jewish people in what's called a mikveh. And a mikveh is when you would go, is uh, ritual cleansing or washing. It's like a ritual bath. So when you would come up to Jerusalem and you'd want to go into the temple, you would go to the mikveh and you would get down on the water and you would do all your ritual bathing in the northern pool. Still with me? So the northern pool, everyone coming into Jerusalem, they're bathing. The southern pool was also a mikveh. Except this pool was surrounded by disabled people. People that in many ways would have been considered under the Old Testament law as ceremonially ceremonially unclean. And so this southern pool was surrounded. And in your Bible, you might have a verse 4 that explains something that's happening in this Place in this mikveh, this this place of washing, or your Bible might just go chapter three, chapter five, which is kind of nice if you ever have a phys- I, I like the physical Bible for that reason. You're like, wait a second, chap. It says verse three, verse five. That's a jump, right? You're just following the numbers. Why does it go verse three, verse five? Because there is a verse four in the King James. And the King James was translated from the Vulgate, the Latin translation of scripture. And uh, it's one of the, uh, like all scripture now, the the NIV, the ESV, is translated from original manuscripts, thousands and thousands of years older, from, uh, with big committees. But in the King James, it was just scribes going one by one down. And so they would add notes about what was happening. And in this case, they're not sure, so they're always safe about if that's a note or if that's part of it. So yours might say, if you read the King James Version, which is fine, it might say, for an angel of the Lord, in verse 4, went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So if you have a verse 4, it might say that. That an angel of the Lord went down and would stir the water, Here's the note about this. That's a note about what people believed to be happening, not what was happening. That's important. There's debate on this, but I have the microphone now, so this is what's happening. (laughs) There's no historical evidence that this was a thing or that there were healings, but there was superstition surrounding this idea Because of one important thing about mikvahs. In order to wash yourself in water to be made clean, the water couldn't be stagnant. It had to be living water. Everything ties to Jesus, right? Some of you are like, I know the living water. It had to be living water, which means to be living water, it has to move, it has to flow. So the northern pool would flow into the southern pool. And I, I like the nerdery of archaeology, and so I was just, I love this kind of stuff. You can see diagrams of how it could have worked. And so the, when, the, when the northern pool would flow into the southern pool, right, it would bubble up. It, it would flow from one to the other, and they're saying, okay, this could have been part of it. We don't truly know. It's not the point of the story, but I'm just giving you some context, so if later you see chapter four or verse four, you're not like, "Wait, what? Did we miss one? But there is something that's happening here is there's a sense of kind of like religious superstition, like if I do this, then I'll be healed. that's occurring here. and it was kind of a generalized expectation. Are you still with me? Yeah. Okay, hopefully I didn't lose you in the nerdery. I'm sorry, uh, but that stuff interests me. <laughs> But what we do know, here's what we do know, is that Jesus, when he would go up to the temple every year, since he was a little boy, he would pass by the southern pool, go to the northern pool. It's either this or Shiloh. He would go to the northern pool, and he would, they would have to wash in the mikveh in the northern pool, before they go up to the temple. And so it means that if that man had been there for 38 years, that it's very likely that Jesus would have seen him as he was going up, right? He would have recognized it. 38 years is a long time. If you see somebody in the same spot every year, I mean, Jesus wasn't 38 years old, but let's say 20 years, like, you're going to know. You're like, "Ah, hey, there he is, right? You're going to notice. And so there's a sense of recognition that's occurring here, but Scripture begins to speak to this man. And it says in John 5:5, 5, 5, it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, we don't know if he'd been there for 38 years or if he was simply uh, sick for 38 years, but we know that he had a disability for 38 years. And this is an important point: nothing in Scripture is by accident, right? So when John is saying 38 years, there's something else important that happened 38 years, and that was Israel wandering in the desert. To the mountain of the promise, there's 38 years of wandering in the desert. And in some ways, Jesus is making a comparison here through John, and John is, is attaching this, this connection Because he's comparing and arguing with the religious leaders who are present to saying, are you going to be like the generation that died in the wilderness because of grumbling and doubt? Or are you going to be like Caleb and Joshua who had faith? And so this man who has essentially spent 38 years in the wilderness of his sickness becomes the center point of the story where Jesus is going to ask the question, what do you really believe about me? And so here's a man who's been sick for 38 years and who has been coming to this pool, I don't know how long. I always have this thought. This isn't in my notes, so don't take this as like a, a doctrine thing. I always just wonder, every year Jesus would go up and he would bathe in the northern pool, right, because he'd go to temple. And every year that water would go from the northern pool to the southern pool, and in the southern pool they would say, when it stirs up, somebody gets healed. And I, again, this is not, I, you know, don't run too far with this, but I always just wonder, because Jesus is awesome. If he's in that northern pool, right? Because we know if you touch his robe, you're healed, right? If he's in that northern pool and he's just kind of like, it's not my ministry time yet, but like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, just kind of, this is the angel of the Lord, which Jesus is called, right? So it's like kind of like, hey, you know, like, stir it up and get some of this in the water here, you know? I, I don't know. I just wonder, because I love Jesus, right? And I just wonder if he was like, yeah, well, just kind of like, blah, 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 you know. Um, but that's not doctrine. Don't run with that. Don't make a YouTube series on that, right? I don't want to end up on some podcast getting judged. The rise and fall of inner church. Uh, <laughs> just, I'm just just a thought about Jesus. I like to, anyone like to think about Jesus, right? I just wonder what he was like at 20, right? Because I know what I was like at 20. <laughs> I'm just like, what was he like right in that northern pool, What we do see is we see a man, 38 years, probably felt like an eternity. And it says in John 5, verse 6 it says, When Jesus saw him laying there, he he knew he'd been there a long time. So he said to them, Do you want to be healed? Did you hear that question? He knew he'd been there a long time, and so he asked him, Do you want to be healed? I got to say, that's almost borderline offensive. Like, like, right? Like, I'm just thinking about that moment. Here you are, like, trying to be healed at the pool. You've been sick for 38 years, and he's like, do you want to be healed? You're like, no. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is that—but it's actually a really important question. Do you want to be healed? Because look at the man's response. It says, verse 7, the sick man answered him, sir— Okay, he says, do you want to be healed? Here's his answer. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? But the man doesn't really understand who Jesus is, so he's interpreting Jesus' invitation to healing based off of how he believes that he can be healed. Again, I don't think there's any ill intent by this guy, right? Right? He just simply has expectations and parameters of how God can heal. He has expectations and parameters of how God moves. Because if he had seen the paralytic lower down from the roof and get healed, when Jesus came to him and said, do you want to be healed? He would have been like, heck yeah, I do. Like right now, let's get it. But he wasn't at the house of the paralytic. He was here. 38 years never quite making it to that water, right? Just a sense of hopelessness. 38 years he's been trying to get healed, and however many years he'd been here at the pool, every time there was an opportunity for breakthrough, he never got it. Always feeling, could you imagine, right? Some of you are like, yes. Always feeling like somebody else caught the break. Always feeling like somebody else got the healing always feeling like somebody else made that promotion always feeling like somebody else found that one non-weird single person your age always feeling like someone got the job always feeling like someone else received the breakthrough that you've been praying for but not you right not him if you can get there in your heart then you might know what he is sensing and feeling in this moment see The hard part of of the human experience is that the sense of suffering and hopelessness, the sense of, I don't know how it can happen, it can quickly move from being part of our story to all of our identity. And when it moves to being all of our identity, it can quickly become all that we can see. We cannot even see God around the reasons that God can't move that we've given him. It becomes all we can focus on. It becomes all of our identity, all of our life, because it's defining our, our experience. And so when Jesus comes and says, Do you want to be healed? the man says, Here's every reason why I cannot be healed. And yet Jesus was there to heal. But the, the man it can find his healing to his expectation, to his understanding. And what I love is that Jesus doesn't even reply to that. He doesn't correct his theology. He doesn't shut down his superstition. He doesn't rebuke him for trying to control what God can do. He doesn't even speak to this man's level of faith. He has come for one purpose, and that's to make him whole. Right? If if you're in suffering... If you're struggling, if you're battling, if you're in that space of even feeling hopeless, Jesus has not come to tell you you're doing a bad job suffering. He's here to make you whole, to restore you. He is a God of love and truth and grace. He's come to make you whole. So here's what he says, verse eight. Jesus said to him, remember the man said, I I can't make it to the water. I can't be healed because I can't get there. And every time I try to get there, somebody else gets there. I'm tired of being excited for other people's breakthrough. Right? Come on, people who are in it. That's not going to get very many amens, but we've all been there. Like, yeah, I'm excited for you, but I'm tired of being excited for other people. I want to be excited for me. <laughs> like Jesus knows that heart. That's this guy's heart. Well, here's what Jesus says to him. Get up. Oh, I didn't know it was that easy. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It says, get up, take your bed, and walk. And it says, all at once, the man was healed, and he took up his mat, his bed, and he walked. There's a little thing. Now, that day was the Sabbath. We'll get to that. I love that. It says, and at once, the man Was healed At once, the man was healed. What has happened and been in the wilderness for 38 years, at once God moved and he was completely healed. And then my second favorite part that is just a testimony to who Jesus is, it says he he took up his mat and he walked. He didn't just walk and leave the mat. He brought the mat with him. Did you notice that? He carried it out. He didn't need to leave it because he wasn't coming back. Right, He didn't need to save himself a place. See, it's always going to be part of his story, but it's not his place anymore. See, when Jesus heals you, something amazing happens. It's not that your suffering is wiped away and you get like amnesia. You just forget everything that has ever happened to you. It's that there's a transformation that occurs. Your trial becomes your testimony. Your mess becomes your message. Your struggle becomes your song and so I want to encourage you as God begins to move in your life don't hide your mat don't hide your mat and also don't leave it like you might come back to it and don't glorify it like it, 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 it means something specific to you use it to glorify God carry it see some of us men, when you get healed and God begins to move you leave a mat so you can come back to it right God delivers you from something but you leave a mat there because it's so familiar we get comfortable you say no i wouldn't it's like yeah israel got so comfortable in slavery they asked to go back to slavery and we all do that we leave a mat in that relationship that god delivers us from we leave a mat in those bookmarks on i don't know how to use the internet we leave a mat in our search history We leave a mat in our life. We leave a mat in our finances. We're like, oh, we might come back here in those things, in those substances, whatever it is. We kind of like leave a mat. Why? Because our our friends don't want us to remove it, right? The, The people who are influencing that behavior don't want us to remove it. But it's important that we pick it up and we walk with it because that's when the struggle becomes a testimony of what God's doing. And so we pick up that mat and we carry it because that mat is a message. It's a testimony that Jesus heals. It's not something to be ashamed of. Right? See, sometimes people don't want to carry the mat because they're afraid to carry it into church. People are going to be like, ooh, addiction? Ah, I don't know. But that mat's a testimony to what God has done. Carry that thing that you're not wearing it But you might carry it out and be like, look what God has delivered me from. Look what he saved me from. Not to glorify the mat, but to glorify the one who has lifted you up off of it. That's a message that Jesus heals. That's a message to the hopeless that says, listen, look, Jesus heals. But look what happens. Remember when I told you that story at the beginning? Look what happens. At once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. But it says, now that day was the Sabbath, verse 9. So verse 10, it says, so the Jews said to the man who'd been healed. Now when it's saying the Jews here, it means the Jewish religious leaders. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. (laughs) Kind of doing what that guy says. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And look at this verse 13. Now the man who'd been healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd. But it says, verse 14, I love this. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That sounds scary. I'll explain that in a minute. (laughs) The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who'd healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, follow me here. The Pharisee, this guy is healed. 38 years sick. This guy's healed. They're all there as religious leaders presiding over this place. A guy at the place they're presiding over is healed. he has been sick for 38 years. He jumps up. He's got his mat and they're upset. They don't even mention that he's healed, right? They don't seem to care at all. Who said you could carry that rug? (laughs) Right? What are they focused on? Carrying his mat. He's got it under his arm, right? Who said you could carry that thing? What is he doing? He's technically working on the Sabbath. You're like, who cares? Right? I'm a workaholic. I work every day. Well, then you might need a Sabbath. (laughs) The Sabbath was God's holy day. Or on the sixth day of creation, he rested from work of creation. Not that he needed the rest, but that he knew he needed to teach us to rest. And so the Sabbath was given to the people of God so they could rest, which is good for humanity, but also as a spiritual connection to focus on God, to look forward to the perfect rest that was coming from the Messiah. Here's the problem, right? You ready for the problem? The religious leaders had taken this to an extreme, to the point that if you picked something up and carried it, there was a level of steps you could take before it was officially worked. So 20 was something this heavy, or 100 was something this heavy, or 500 was something this heavy. You could only do certain many things, and you could pick things up or move things or start a fire or start a fire early. There were all of these things where Jesus is like, you've put a heavy burden on the people. So you couldn't lift anything. Can I just ask a question? How do you get from God saying, I'm establishing a day of rest so you can focus on me, to don't heal people? That's a a religious spirit is how. That's exactly how. Because the reality was they were reading the law, but they were missing Yahweh. Yahweh. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel. They had earthly power to enforce what it meant to be holy and righteous before God in their eyes. And that's a classic religious spirit. You might have seen it. You might not even have known what to call it, but you've probably seen it. Where someone goes beyond scripture to say this is what is and is not acceptable. They could care less if God was moving. They can actually care less about doctrine, because doctrine should point people to Christ. They just cared about their religiosity. So they said, here is how God heals. And yet, they didn't like that mat because Jesus was saying, like, well, technically, here's how I heal. Right there. Because he's carrying it around. You can't deny it in the physical. You can't deny that in the house of mercy, God moved in mercy and loving kindness. You can't deny it. He's like, I'm carrying it. I'm walking. What do you want me to do? I don't care what you say. That guy healed me. He told me to take the mat. I'm taking the mat. Right? Right? You guys have been here for 38 years You haven't done nothing Like He's been here for three minutes And I'm saved right? like, This is amazing I'm taking the rug with me Right. But here's the thing Religious people never like healing Because it takes the power and control away from them Jesus hearted people Always love healing Because they recognize the power Has always belonged to God jesus-hearted people right you recognize a mat when you see one you're like oh you have a mat i have a mat right (laughs) see see churches get it wrong when we start to put the mats away so that we can blend in with the religious leaders the best church is the church where you're like oh you have a mat i have a mat What's your man? Oh yeah, I was freed from addiction. Awesome. What's your man? Man, I was freed from the trauma of abuse in my past. What's your man? Man, I was I was radically healed by Jesus Christ. What's your man? Well, I really struggled with pride, and God met me in my pride, and He brought me to a place of sacrificial surrender and servant-hearted life. You're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, but the Western church seems to be more concerned about like wearing hats than carrying mats. And I think there's something about us as a church where we're like, we just, I want I want to see that. That's when church is fun. We're not trying to blend in. We're trying to glorify God for what he's done. Like, those things, man, if you've ever felt ashamed of, of that, again, we're not trying to glorify it. We're not trying to leave it where it is, but we're caring. We're saying, like, this is what God has done for me. Look what he's done for me. Look what he's delivered me from, right? It's a testimony. If you've ever felt ashamed, I just want to encourage you, you don't need to be ashamed here because we celebrate what God has done in your life. If you're like, man, God has freed me from suicidal thoughts, it's not that it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you ever acted that way or thought that way. It's like, praise the Lord that he's freed you. So there's two different types of people. You still with me? There's two different types of people here, church, who are encountering Jesus. There's two types. The first is a spiritual seeker, right? You might be here. You might be in this camp, right, trying everything to be healed, but in ways that aren't fully the way God intended. Maybe they're inevitably shallow and not fulfilling. Like you have a heart that searches, and you've tried a lot of things. You recognize that you need to be made whole, but there's always a reason it never quite works, and it's discouraging. Or you might be here, the second camp, religious-minded, where you see the work of Christ, but are more upset Like the religious minded, that the actions of the people who are healed violate your understanding or your comfort or your expectations. It's like a gatekeeper. I'm gonna talk about the first one. Here's all I'm gonna say about the second one religious spirit. Ready? Repent. That's it. That's all you have to do. Repent. That's it. It's really simple. Spiritual seekers, (laughs) the question is the same Do you want to be made whole? Here's the question Jesus is asking. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? And I know that sounds so like ambiguous and obvious, but it's what Jesus is asking the man. And it in many ways is what Jesus is asking Israel. And in every way, it's what Jesus is asking us today. Do you want to be made whole? That's what he says to him. He sees him, he knows him, he says, do you want to be made whole? That's Jesus' mission. Did you know that? To make us whole. To restore and reconcile his creation. Not only for eternity, but here on earth. That in fulfilling the law of the Old Testament, he frees us from sin and restores our life and restores us for eternity. That's why 2 Corinthians says Christ, God, was reconciling the world to himself not counting their sins against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's why in John 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus finds the man in verse 14. He says, don't sin because something worse will happen. That's scary, Like, I hear that in a mob voice, like, you better cut it out. Something's going to happen to you, right? (laughs) Something worse. It's the best I can do. My Aramaic is better than my Boston, apparently, (laughs) which are both not great. But he finds him, and he says, listen, something worse. What does that mean? It's like, you're going to get double crippled. No. No. (laughs) That was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) We're <laughs> Oh, man. Sorry, I'm tired. Man, remember I said house of mercy? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> what is he speaking to? He's speaking to salvation. He said, listen, there's something more than the healing of your body. It's the healing of your soul. He's speaking to his soul. He's saying, do you want your soul to be Healed. That's an important question today. Don't leave today without asking yourself that question. Do I want my soul to be healed? I watched this uh, this show on budgeting on YouTube, and it's this young guy who brings all these people in. He brings all these other young people in, and he just goes through their finances and just roasts them. And uh, every. It gives my wife anxiety, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Um, but they always say they want to change, right? They come in. Everybody comes in, and I respect anybody who steps into that think, knowing it's going to be recorded. But at the end of the day, you can kind of see, right, who actually wants to change and who just says, I want to change, Right? Right, you know who says, "Yeah, help help me make my finances whole," and you know the people who are like, "Okay, great, but I'm still gonna spend thirty five dollars a day on taquitos." All right, like you can, you can tell right away. Many people say, "Yeah, I want I want to follow Jesus. I want to be made whole." And he says, "Oh, do you want to be made whole?" Like, "Yeah, I want to be made whole." Do you want to be made whole? Yeah, I want to be made whole. Okay, just give me your heart, trust in me. I that's not kind of what I had in mind. Kind of wanted to still be in control, but have you make me whole. And he said, it's one or the other. You can be in control, or I can make you whole. It's one of the two. And so he invites the man, he invites, us says, lay down the fleshly ways, the ways of sin. Surrender your heart, and be made whole in me. And here's the promise. Everyone is made whole in in Jesus Christ. Every single person is made whole in Christ Jesus. There's hope for every person. I don't care who you are today. I have seen everybody from every kind of walk of life, all races and creeds i have been different parts of the world, seen it happen in different languages. Everybody can be made whole in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. Jesus came to make us whole eternally and he came to make us whole now that he moves in healing now and he moves in healing for eternity. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in a certain place like the man 38 years or the people of Israel 1500 years. Jesus has come to make you whole. He sees you. he knows you, and he can make you whole again. That's the beauty of following Christ, that Jesus came to be that living water that springs forth for every person. The pool of Bethesda, complicated, superstitious. The man's like, here's what I got to do to be whole. I got to make it to the water. Pharisaical observance, complicated, religious. Pharisees like, okay, here's all the things you got to do to be made whole. Jesus Christ, not complicated, He says, put your faith in me as the Lord and Savior. He says, I've come to make you whole. You, you, You can't earn it. You can't work your way into it. You can't buy it. You can't discover it through mystical ways. You can't conjure it up. You can't attain through alignment up into it. I simply give it and you receive it. And that's how it works in this relationship. He says, follow me. Nobody's hopeless. Nobody's, are you here this morning? Nobody's hopeless, amen? Amen. Nobody's hopeless. You might have someone in your mind right now, you're like, eh, they're hopeless. They're not hopeless. Maybe this morning, God's actually calling you to intercede for them. This is the first altar time where you're gonna come up not for you, you're gonna come up for somebody else, and you're gonna pray the hope of Jesus over their life. You're gonna be like that uh, member of the Roman guard who went out and said, Jesus, why don't you just speak over them and they'll be healed? I'm here to just invite you to speak over them, and I know they're gonna be healed. Because no one's hopeless. Band, you guys. Go. So what does this mean for us? Let me give you four things. Really quick. Ready? There's four takeaways for you real fast. Jesus is the living water that makes you whole. No worldly or pagan practice can do it. Only Jesus. Jesus is the living water that makes you whole. Number two, your mat is your message. Don't be ashamed of what God healed you from. He healed you from it don't be ashamed of that and I know that's easy for me to say but we all have a mat your pastor has a mat your pastors have mats that God has healed us and delivered us that's why we're here because God has delivered us doesn't matter if you're if you're there if you're here if you're here we all every single person on the stage has a mat don't be ashamed testify testify it gives hope to people don't be ashamed of your mat don't be ashamed of what God's done. Well, I grew up in the church. I don't think I have a mat. There are things you have overcome growing up in the church, right? You have a mat. There's things, miracles God has done in your life. It might even be a pretty big mat. It's heavy. Just you've seen God do a lot of things. Third thing, if they can't control it, they won't like it. Let me give you the key to religious people. If they can't control it, they won't like it. I used to preach to religious people, like, try to find all the ways. Then I just figured they're not listening anyways. They're just going to come up after and tell me all the reasons I'm wrong. So I just started saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that covers it for me. If it worked for John the Baptist, and if it worked for Jesus, it works for me. Repent. Get your heart right with God. Come before him. Fall on your knees. Change your heart. It's good. It will change you. It will encourage you. You'll step into the grace. You'll go back to being fun and enjoying life in the kingdom. And people will like you again. And it'll be great. But religious people, they can't control it, they won't like it. Get people in your life, join a small group of people that you will allow to speak into your life so you know they're not trying to control you, they're trying to direct you and encourage you and guide you. And finally, the most important one, number four, no one is hopeless. No one's too far gone. might be for you it might be for someone else but no one's too far gone not in a faith where our Savior surrounded himself with tax collectors and brash over-the-top people who made mistakes even failed him not in a faith where the guy who wrote half the New Testament was a murderer <laughs> and trying to pursue God he fought against the very people of God not in the Word of God where David A man after God's own heart is riddled with mistakes, right? No one's too far. No one's too far. No one's too far removed. No one's too far separated. No one's too far gone. No one's too impossible. No situation is truly hopeless with Jesus Christ. And that's been my prayer this week is, Lord, give us a testimony or give us the boldness to testify. That we would come in and say, man, I've been in a place of long suffering. Jesus Give me hope and move in my life. Do a miracle in my life. Or maybe today, it's it's, God, would you bring hope into their life, whoever that is. kind of envision a church that's full of people who are coming to the altar for others, coming to the altar for the country coming to the altar for interceding for the hopeless, say, God, would you move in their life? It's one thing to come for us. We love that, but I think there's a next step that God wants to begin to do at Banner Church, where we start coming to the altar just for a move of God, that hope would be present. So Thomas can invite you. Would you stand with me this morning? I know there's many different things God's speaking and moving in our hearts so I just want to give a really simple response we have this song uh, the spirit was moving right I like I like this song where we invite the Holy Spirit to rest on us and we we want to pray with you here's what we want to pray for together our prayer team is awesome did you know that prayer team is awesome We want to pray a couple things for you one if you need hope right if you need hope we want to pray for you like I need hope in my life we want to pray for you There's a situation you're walking through. You need God to move. We want to pray for you this morning as the band plays. Our prayer team is going to come around and pray for you. And here's what I can promise you. We've seen God move in the altar. Miracles are happening. So you're stepping into a place of miracles. But the second thing today, it's a little different than we've ever done. Is maybe you're saying, you know what? I want to intercede for somebody. And I want to come forward and believe hope for them. Maybe they can't believe it for themselves, but I'm going to believe it for them. I got somebody who's wandered off, but I'm going to believe, God, you can bring hope to them right now. So someone's going to come alongside you and pray for that family member, that friend, that person who feels far. But today we're going to leave like that man walking out with our mat with the hope of the Lord. So we got hope because Jesus met me and he changed me. You ready for that? Are you ready for that this morning? You're ready to, to intercede, to pray, to believe for God to move? I don't know what you came here for, but maybe you're ready now for God to move and to do something. You're ready to believe for somebody else. You're ready for hope. You've been in it a long time, but you're ready to see breakthrough in your life. Whoever that is, would you just come forward this morning, step out of your seat, and just come right up here? I want to pray for you. If that's you, come right up in the front. I know that's scary. It's a big ask, but we believe for God to move. Just come on forward. We're going to pray. Come on. Come on up here. Awesome. Right there is perfect. Right there is awesome. Come on forward. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you. And then you're going you're gonna to see someone. I'm just going to give you a moment, you and Jesus, where you just say, okay, yes, Lord, I want to be here. Give me hope. Or are you going to pray over that? And as you're doing that, someone's going to come around you and is just going to pray with you. So they're going to probably say, hey, what can I pray with you for? And we're just going to enter into a time of ministry. And if you're here, you're part of just inviting the spirit to move in this. But I'm going to pray. And the prayer team, I just release you, okay? Okay? Awesome, awesome. We're going to take some time here to worship the Lord. I just pray right now in the name of Jesus over your life. Hope right now. Hope in the name of Jesus. That there is life in the name of Jesus right now. There is healing in the name of Jesus right now. That nothing is hopeless. That nothing is too far gone. That nothing is too far past. But there is hope. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, I speak healing into your life right now. I speak to the bodies, and I pray them healed in the name of Jesus. I speak right now to minds, and we pray them healed and released from all infirmity in the name of Jesus. Church, let's join together. Let's pray over spirits right now. We pray right now over the heart and the spirit of every person right here God we speak against any uh, oppression that has come upon the minds and the hearts and the spirits we pray release we pray healing in the name of Jesus God we speak over the relationships we pray healing right now in the name of Jesus and we invite you Holy Spirit to be present in this and we say God stir up right now hope in the name of Jesus there is hope here there is testimony here in the name of Jesus 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 team, I'm going to invite you just begin to pray. Begin to pray over others as the band leads us this morning. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.